over the next two weeks, um, both on Sunday mornings and then following on in small groups, we're going to be looking at passages of Scripture that have been really significant for us as a church as we've started to look at what God may be calling us to in the future. And this morning we're looking at a passage from Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 43, verses 16 to 28. Now, if you know Isaiah 43, you'll probably recognize verses 18 and 19, but I didn't want to cherry pick, so I thought I'd set it in context of the whole passage, and hopefully you'll see why. So this is reading from verse 16. This is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and the reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wastelands. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Yet you have not called on me, Jacob. You have not wearied yourself for me, Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. You have not bought any fragrant calamus for me, or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins, and wearied me with your offences. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and remembers your sins no more. Review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State the case for your innocence. Your first father sinned. Those I sent to teach you rebelled against me. So I disgraced the dignitaries of your temple. I consigned Jacob to destruction and Israel to scorn doesn't end quite as cheerfully as perhaps it is in the middle, but we'll get to that as we go on. Well, it's 2018. We're seven days into the new year. Christmas is finally over. Everybody put all their Christmas decorations away? No. Isn't there a rule about now you have to keep it up till June or something like that? We'll be keeping an eye on that. Now, in our house, I don't know if your house is the same, but a lot of the gifts that were brought over the Christmas period for us and for our boys have started to lose a little of their newness a little of their shine. They're sat on tables, not yet used or not really thought about. Apart from this one. Now, why is this not working? There we go. I think if I just do this up here, I'm good to go forward a slide. Anyone got one of these for Christmas? Anyone know what it is? It's an Amazon dot. Now, Claire's mum and dad bought Timothy one of these for Christmas. And it does all sorts of things. You just say, Alexa, it wakes up, and then you ask it a question. And it finds an answer for you from the internet. But it does more than that. It plays music for you. It will sing you a song if you ask it. And it tells jokes. <laughs> and our boys keep on saying, Alexa, tell me a joke about. And it has a list of about ten jokes. Most of them about the quality of the jokes that come out of crackers. Do you want to hear one of the jokes before we go forward? Sorry, that was just me moving my arm a little bit. Not quite enough yet. <laughs> this is the joke. How many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? Anyone? One. But the light bulb has to want to change. (laughs) That was the best of them. They're all downhill from there. I won't weary you with any more. 
And so with Christmas behind us, we go into the new year, and at least for a couple of weeks, we have that sense of new year feelings, don't we? The new beginnings, the new start. A new year brings with it, inevitably, the kind of New Year's resolutions. Apparently 40% of people in the UK this year will have made a New Year resolution. You may be one of them. But do you know, by this time next year, only 8% will have kept them? By the end of February, 80% of people who made a New Year's resolution will have given up on them. And these are the type of things that are on the top of the list for this year. Look at, look at some of them. Lose weight, perhaps if you've eaten too much over Christmas. Improve self, get fit, you know, start a new exercise regime. Quit smoking, save money. Things like get out of debt, all those kind of things. But you know, one thing that is in common with all of those is that actually the people making them feel that something has gone wrong in their life that they need to correct. If you want to George Bushism, they have mislived in the past. You know, I used to talk about misspeaking. And we all feel we do that, don't we? We feel there are things that we do where we mislive or we live in a way that actually we know isn't the best for us, and then we want to redo it, and we use the new year as a time to say, let's make a resolution, let's have a fresh start, and let's see if we can correct the issue. Well, as we read our Bibles this morning, we're reminded again that God is the God of the new beginnings. God is the God who calls us in Christ to be born again of the Spirit, who calls us to be part of the new creation, the newness that God has brought about through the resurrection. But when we come to God's new thing, we're in a total different territory to our type of new thing. Because, you see, God has never misspoken. He has never misacted. He never has to go back and undo something that he's done. The Bible tells us that God's will, God's words, are perfect. And so God's new thing is always pointing us forward to the completion of everything in Jesus Christ. To that day that we've already heard about this morning when there will be no more crying. There will be no more pain as Christ becomes all in all. And so we sit at the threshold of a new year. And we ask that question, what is the new thing that God wants to do with us, through us, in the life of our church family, in our own individual life? Because I believe that 2018 for us as a church needs to be an idea, where a year where actually we start talking about vision and start talking about a new reality. Vision is great, but if it doesn't produce a new reality, it just remains ideas. But before we move on to looking at this for us as a church, let's have a look at what the new thing was for the people in Isaiah's day. Now, I think there's always a danger when we come to the Bible that we're a bit like a kid eating a meal. You know, if you give a, a child a meal, what they tend to do when they're very young is they eat the best bits first, don't they? And then leave the bits they don't like around the side of the plate and then say, I'm full, I'm done. And you're like, well, you've only eaten one thing off there, the bit you liked. And actually what we can do with the Bible is to do a bit of that. We can go to the verses that we actually think, like these verses that are on the screen, the good bits, and we forget the context and we forget what God is actually saying to his people. Let's have a very quick look, and it will be a quick look through this passage. Verses 16 to 17. The Lord is introduced by Isaiah. And the way the Lord is introduced is in relation to what God has said and done in the past. It says, he who made a way through the sea. Now, this is all referring back to the events of the Exodus. If you were here at Lim Baptist last time, we were looking at the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua follows hot on the heels of the events of the Exodus, where God freed his people from slavery in Egypt. 
And one of the great acts of liberation that God did was to part the Red Sea so the people could walk across on dry land. The armies of the Pharaoh tried to follow them, but then God closed the waters over the top and the armies never rose again. And that's what um, Isaiah is referring to here. And Isaiah then says in verse 18... Forget the former... No, actually, this is God by the time we get to verse 18, sorry. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. You see, Israel had a great past. God had done amazing things in their experience. But God says, do not dwell there. Do not live there. Do you ever find yourself wanting to go back to the good old days? Perhaps you don't use that terminology. But you find yourself wanting to go back to days when perhaps you felt things were better than they are now? And it it becomes so many different levels, can't it? You may be sat in a restaurant looking at a couple who were obviously on a first date and thinking, wasn't it better before mobile phones? When couples used to speak to one another rather than being on Snapchat or Instagram telling their friends how the date is going rather than actually speaking to the couple they're meant to be on the date with. But then you perhaps don't feel the same about the mobile phone when you're on a dark country lane and you get a flat tire. You see, the good old days don't seem as appealing then. Or perhaps you're there thinking, wasn't it great when kids in school used to sit in rows with desks with inkwells? Until I can remember being at school in one of those desks and seeing people light fires in the inkwells and having smoke billowing up. Anyway, that's a different story. (laughs) Wasn't it good when churches were all full and everybody went to church every Sunday? Weren't these the good old days? And actually, we can find ourselves wanting to be drawn back into those times, those ways of thinking. But actually, what God says is don't dwell Don't make your home in the past because it's gone. You can't get back there no matter how much you want to. No matter how good your perception of what happens. It's not now. So God says look forward. Look forward and see what I am doing today and see how it will link into the future. So the looking forward here, the new thing that God is doing is actually on several levels. The most immediate thing is that the people of Israel at this point were in exile. They were in Babylon. This is what Isaiah is referring to. And the new thing that God will do here is he will take his people home back to Jerusalem. And it's literally across the wilderness. I will make a way across the desert, across that 500-mile trip from Babylon right the way back to Jerusalem. And he will do that because often it's in the wilderness that God does his miracles. The people were to find this in the Exodus that when Moses struck the rock, water would pour out. It's often in those places where we least expect it that God does miracles. Are you in a wilderness today? I don't mean literally, but in your own life. Do you feel that you're in that kind of wilderness situation where you're not sure what's going on and you can't make sense of the events in your life? Don't be surprised if that's where God works his wonders because God is a God who makes streams flow in the wilderness. But this passage as well looks even further forward than the immediate events. It looks forward. Most commentators agree that it's also talking about what God will do through Jesus. The new thing always points us to what God will do when he would send his son into the world. Jesus, who would be sent out of love. Jesus, who would die on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus, who would rise again and then ascend to heaven in glory. And Jesus, who would pour out his Holy Spirit so that we could be refreshed and filled with the Spirit of God. The time when people's dry hearts and lives will be refreshed by the living water. Is your life dry this morning spiritually? Are you in need of streams 
of living water to flow? Are you sick and tired of dwelling in the past and in desperate need of moving forward? Well, God is the God of new beginnings, of the new thing. Acts 3 verse 19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Well, in this passage in Isaiah, in that passage in Acts, and it's a common theme throughout the Bible, newness, refreshing, is always linked with repentance. It's always linked with us having to say to God, look, I'm sorry, I have done things my own way. I haven't listened to you. The reason I'm stale, the reason I'm in the wilderness, is actually because I've thought that I know best. This has been the problem for Israel. Verse 22, we get a change of tone. Yet you have not called on me, Jacob. And all the way down to verse 24, we get this real sense that God's heart is breaking for his people. God is lamenting that his people have not called after him, that they've gone after other things. And the people of Israel will be time and time again pulled up by the prophets who thought that Israel thought they'd got it sorted with all their religious festivals, but they weren't getting what was on God's heart. Hear this from Amos chapter 5. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, and righteousness like a never-failing stream. See, what the people thought God wanted was all this religious stuff. And actually, what God said is, I want the heart. I want the heart. You see, it's easy for us, or relatively easy, to turn up at church every week. It's easy to turn up and pray. It's easy to go to a Bible study. It's relatively easy to put on a nice smile and look vaguely presentable. But actually, God isn't interested in that. He's interested in what our heart is doing, how our heart is responding to him. The people in Isaiah's day probably thought they had God sussed out. They didn't in Amos's day. And yet they were so far away. And God says, you're burdening me with your sins. But yet it's the same God in verse 25 who blots out their sins and moves them forward. So what about our church? What happens for us as we go into 2018? Does God want to do a new thing among us? Well, the answer is no and yes. Don't you love those kind of answers? Let's get the no out of the way because it's fairly straightforward. God has absolutely no new agenda for the wider church and for us. I don't know what this is doing. I don't think it's me. That's right. Okay, we'll stay there. Um, God has no call for us. No new call. Our call is to make disciples of all nations. Our call is to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. That core call to the church for every age will not change. It remains constant, it remains true, until that day that Jesus returns. So that's the no, let's just park that one, because that's relatively straightforward. What about the yes? Because I do believe that God has new things, specifically for us as Lynn Baptist Church. You know, we live in a world that is constantly changing at an ever faster pace. Human knowledge increases at the moment. It doubles every 12 months. Mine hasn't doubled this last year, but apparently the sum of human knowledge doubles every 12 months. And it's getting faster. We know more and more. We think we understand more and more. 
And yet we contrast that with some of the things going on in our society. There were some figures out just the other week that said, in our country, in England, 11% of our older people don't have a meaningful conversation with anybody once a month. They don't have a meaningful conversation with a friend or a neighbor or anybody once a month. Acute loneliness. Computers increase at an absolutely astonishing rate. You know, in our pockets, in our phones, there's far more computer power than put men on the moon in the late 60s and 70s. And yet our society suffers in so many different ways. Again, figures out just the other week, says that one in six of us this week will have battled with our own mental health. We live in a world that is doing different things. And as we look at the world, it can be so easy to start focusing on stuff rather than on people who God has made in his image and loves deeply. But people who, without Jesus, will be lost and broken, not just in this life, but for all eternity. And you see, for us as a church, as we think about 2018, it can be easy to think about the wrong things. Easy to get our eyes off what God would call us to, to those things that we perhaps feel safe about and feel we can cope with. Now, we may think at the moment, having looked at our vision documents and talked about vision, that actually the main thing God will call us to do is all about buildings. It's all about this structure that is in front of us. Now, don't hear me wrong. I believe we do need to do stuff with this physical space to make it more usable and to make it fit for purpose for the next two decades of ministry. This is our greatest singular physical missional tool, and God has called us to manage it well for his glory. But if we get, as a church, fixated upon buildings or stuff or publicity or any of those kind of things, and not on people who God loves, then we're thinking about the wrong things. We are fixated on the wrong things. You see, I believe that God's new thing will always be about us sharing Jesus with people whom he loves. Other stuff may be important, but it cannot be the main thing. The new thing for us surely has to be about how we reimagine our life together. How do we recreate community so that we can share Jesus with a world that is lonely and broken and hurting? How do we reach our neighbors with the amazing good news that God loves them with a passion that stretches back to eternity? How do we reach those who are battling with mental health, who are struggling with death? How do we recreate a sense of community here and use this place to God's glory? How do we put in today's context the gospel of Jesus Christ? Surely that has to be the new thing, the one question that matters. See, if the people of Lim and the surrounding area who God loves don't get to hear about him, then whatever we do, we're missing the most important thing. If we spend more time worrying about buildings or the songs we sing, the format of our services, how good our website is, our publicity, and forget people, then we're concerned about the wrong things. In Amos's day, the people thought they knew what God wanted. Yet it was wrong. God was never interested in the religious stuff. He was never interested in the ceremonies. He wanted the hearts changed. He wanted people to love him more and demonstrate his love to other people. So can I encourage us as we go into 2018? Yes, we need to discuss our vision. Yes, it will involve things to do with buildings. It will involve things to do with planting new communities that will share Jesus. But let's not forget people. Let's not forget the people who God has made in his image 
if we're not concerned and our heart is not breaking for the people of our area, then we're concerned about the wrong things. Are you concerned about people today? Or are you concerned about your own comfort? Are you concerned about others who God loves deeply? Or are you concerned about physical things that we can manage? God has called each of us because he loves us, and he calls us to do the same. So what about ourselves? Let's just personalize this as we bring this to a close. Is there a new thing that God wants to do in your life today? See, when we ask that question, it broadens sort of exponentially, and I really can't answer that for you. I don't know whether God wants to do something new. I don't know where you're up to. But if we really are open to God, working in us afresh, it means surrendering to him. There's a word, it's not a word we use very much, apart from perhaps in the highway code, and it's the word yield. Talk about traffic yielding to someone else. It's a word that has sort of largely fallen out of use, but it's a word really that only describes what God would want us to do. To yield, that means to give over our lives fully to him and his service. So you may be sat here today, and you know full well that God is calling you to do something specific. Yet actually, for all kinds of valid, or apparently valid reasons, we're not doing it. It may be that God is calling you to give something up. But again, we have all those kind of reasons why we're not doing it. It may be that God is calling you to repent, that is, turn fully around from something once and for all, and walk in his ways. It may be that this year God is calling you to focus on your marriage or your family relationships in a way that you haven't been. I really cannot answer that for you. You need to think about what that new thing is in your life for you today. But what I do want to do, just as we draw this to a close, is to spend a little bit of time reflecting and praying individually. We'll spend time doing this as a church later on today, so I'm not going to focus there as as we finish and as we go into the weeks ahead. But just to think individually, what is that new thing that God needs to do in your heart this year? The Methodist Church, for many years, at the beginning of the new year, has used something that's called a covenant prayer. If you've got a Methodist background, this will not be um, new to you that we're going to use in a minute. And it's a prayer that essentially says, I'm available, God, for whatever you want to do in me, with me, through me. It's a prayer that actually, if you read it out and say amen at the end, is a very dangerous prayer to pray. Um, So what I'm not going to do is ask us all to read it out. Because I think some of us may be in different places, and I don't want to put anyone in an awkward position. But what I will do is I will read the words out, and if at the end you want to say amen in your heart, then you can do that either out loud or quietly. But it's a prayer that says, God, as we are going to 2018, I am yours, you are mine. Use me for whatever you will. So let's just have the words for that prayer up on the screen. Let's just spend a moment in quiet just reading those words through before I then read them. And we can then, as we get to the words at the end that are in the darker print, we can read those ones together. I'll read this. You may want to pray it along in your own minds quietly as I read. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. 
Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And you may want to read these with me. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. Amen. Just spend a few moments still in quiet. If the musicians could come forward, they'll lead us in closing song in a moment. But let's just continue in an attitude of prayer just for a moment. Lord Jesus, again, we thank you that you call us to new things. The message remains the same, but what you call us to do, the context may change. And Lord, I just pray for us as individuals that if we prayed that prayer this morning, that you will use us in 2018 in fresh new ways. Lord, help that word yield to to really mean what we've said today. And Lord, for us as a church fellowship, as we look forward to what is a significant year, as we we think about vision, think about moving forward, Lord, we pray that we won't get sidetracked. Pray that we'll keep the call of the gospel right at the center of who we are as a church. See, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Thank you, Lord. Amen.